Welcome to Surviving Society. My name is Dr. Chantel Jessica Lewis, and I'm the executive producer of the show. This is the final episode of the series titled The Role of Love in Social Justice Work, hosted and produced by Ez Chibo. I'm quite embarrassed to talk about this conversation because it's one that features myself. This conversation is one that focuses on mine and Ez's relationship in the context of both learning and loving together in community, in family, and in social justice work. We talk about the meaning of love and how it needs to be enacted and part of a process by using, of course, the words of bell hooks. We also talk about romantic love in this episode, something that we don't do that much of on Surviving Society. But this is in the context of both gender, race, racialization, and blackness. What I hope listeners take away from this conversation is a recognition of humanity, of love, but also the power of learning and loving together, both in conversation and dialogically. I hope you've enjoyed this series and thank you so much to Ez Chibo for creating such an important space and for us all learning together about how to love better, be better and learn together. Welcome to Surviving Society Presents, the role of love in social justice work. In these episodes, we will explore the role that love plays in social justice spaces. I brought on a handful of amazing guests that spoke to the way that love impacts the work that they do, as well as the challenges and benefits that this presents. This series has been executively produced by myself, F. Chibo. And that's a wrap. You have wrapped our first series of the role of love in social justice work. Ez is in the studio today. The person you have heard from over the past five weeks, my, I'm going to say one of the loves of my life. Mm. One of the loves of my life in this room, in the studio. I feel really overwhelmed because this conversation could go into so many directions. But given the listeners have just listened to five weeks of some exceptional work, scholarship, conversation on the intricacies of love in social justice work, I think it's important to first of all just say, just say well done. I, For me, that's the best series we've ever had on Surviving Society. You're not biased at all, are you? I'm fully biased. <laughs> but you know why I'm going to say it's the best series? Because it's the most vulnerable and honest series I think we've ever had on this show. And it draws me back to something that you said to me a few months ago, Ez, how can I be better? How can I be a better broadcaster? How can I be a better sociologist? And how uncomfortable I find it when people talk about how important um, our work is on surviving society. I constantly feel this. I feel uncomfortable. And you said to me, Chantel, you need to bring more of yourself in relation to your shadow into this space. And what I saw what I thought you meant by that is, what I feel you meant by that is, being more vulnerable in who we are as human beings and that we're not pure. And what I feel like you show in this series is how important stepping into those uncomfortable conversations about what we do or who we are as people just how transformative that is like and yeah I just want to say again like well done and I'm so 
proud of what you've achieved and I'm so grateful that you chose to do it by Spy and Sighty. Mm, thanks, babe. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate that. I, w- well, I would, uh, the, um, the word, the first word that comes to my mind is challenge, but it's not challenge. I would, I wouldn't use the word pure. I wouldn't say that we're not pure. I would, I would say that we're not just pure. Um, right. We're not perfect. So there are, there's two sides to a coin. And I think that when you are doing public facing work, often, and I'll speak for myself, often I've been positioned as just pure or just shadow, like either or. Like that binary way of engaging with it, one is just not the human experience, but then also um, it doesn't send a love and it doesn't send a love of self. Like if I can only show you the parts of me that you like or that are palatable to yeah, that, that are palatable to mainstream ideas of what social justice is, then I don't give you the opportunity to love me in my entirety. Um, and I'm having to hold back that part of myself um, in order to engage with the work in public spaces. Um, and then what happens is behind closed doors, I'm a different person. Um, and that creates a dissonance within me. I feel like a fraud or I feel like I get imposter syndrome. I feel like the version of me that people see isn't isn't the full me or there's the, the flip side to that where people become punitive or like want to cancel me because they find out that I'm human you just summarize that much better than I did like that's it isn't it like that feeling that I had that, that feeling of uncomfortability or that feeling of it's like when people put you on a pedestal or put like what you do on a pedestal you're constantly thinking okay but what happens when you pull that from under me then like you see that I'm human and actually to combat that or to get on in front of that is about showing the intricacies of our personalities, of our work, of what's what we find challenging, what we get a lot out of for ourselves as well. Yeah, I'm just so grateful for that work that you've put out there on Surviving Society, but also how you're influencing me in terms of what I want to achieve as a broadcaster that's trying to broadcast social justice work in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that can only, for me, that's only really done in relationships. So like, I just want to reflect back my gratitude as well. Like it's not, it's not done um, in a vacuum. I can't, I, it's not theory. And that I think that's, that's the difference for me. Like where, cause yeah, I could think and theorize about love. I can think and theorize about social justice. And I think that there are a lot of amazing thinkers um, on the topic or on those topics, but that's not my experience of the world. So there was always that disconnect. It's like, oh, I'm reading these things that says that love is this or that says that social justice is this or says that charity, quote unquote, is this. But I'm in this world and I'm doing this and this isn't my experience. So what's, yeah, what's going on there? It's done for me, the learning on love on on how to be um, and how to live and operate from a place of love is only done in relationship. Um, it's only done in community. And on that note, um, one of the key theorists, writers, scholars, thinkers, which is sort of threaded throughout your series and a lot of the work we do on surviving society is obviously bell hooks. So before I ask you a little bit about how you found recording this series, I'm just going to read this quote that we decided on um, together from Bell Hooks. Genuine love is rarely an emotional space where needs are instantly gratified. To know love, we have to invest time and commitment. Dreaming that love will save us, solve all our problems, 
or provide a steady state of bliss or security only keeps us stuck in wishful fantasy, undermining the real power of love, which is to transform us. Many people want love to function like a drug, giving them an immediate and sustained high. They want to do nothing, just passively receive the good feeling. Ez. <laughs> I really like that quote when we were like reading through a few different quotes. The reason why that one stood out to me is because I am really aware that the Ez that is able to record this series at this time um, has gone on a real journey. And I think that last year particularly was a real journey for me where I had to learn the labour of love starting with self-love so I had to learn like I was I was forced to I had made choices that forced me to to choose to love myself in practice and to choose to love my work like to really love my work to really love my community the people that I'm working with and alongside and I was confronted with sharp edges of that um, so it wasn't just like the nice stuff and the, the fun stuff, but it was like the challenges, overcoming a lot of those challenges um, within myself and then also in, in relationship with others and in relation to this work. Felt really clear that, yeah, this to, to do love, to really do love the way I want to do love, I'm going to need to learn love and I'm going to need to teach love and I'm going to need to be open to be taught. And that's something that I think when I think about the things that I want to change or I want to see changed about the world, that force um, to transform that was, that comes out in that quote um, is the only sustainable thing. Like it's the only thing that's like, you know what, this is the thing that is going to sustain this. Um, and this is the thing that's going to get us there, um, to get our movements there, get our communities there, get our organisations there in a way that doesn't destroy, but builds, rebuilds. One of the threads that I think is so important throughout the series and also what you just said there is, is this the importance of self-love, but that that is an active practice and praxis and that the, if we don't commit to that, how we're engaged in social justice work can't be embedded in love because the love starts with us. It's really important like not to confuse a loving of oneself with kind of being selfish or insular. It's knowing that to love yourself is is where the work starts. And if we don't love ourselves, we're not able to love people from a place of genuine care because we can't even do that for ourselves. And I think that, like obviously Bell Hooks teaches us a lot about this, but I think I've learned even more about love in terms of being in conversation with you and listening to your series as well about how active and daily and relentless that work of self-love is and in a world that is so loveless because lovelessness is how is how so many structures in society are sustained it's such an easy way to be it's hard to love yourself exactly that but also it's political like it is as political as all the other things that we're kind of taught to do on this side do you know what I mean we're taught about movements we're taught about how to build organizations we're taught about we're taught about resistance we're taught about um campaigning organizing and that I think that we are we've made strides um in terms of like 
politically we've made strides but I think that the piece that is missing um or that I have felt missing from my experience of of navigating um this social justice space is the emphasis on love Mm. and not that oh I read all about love once or that oh that's such a good book isn't it but that how that feeds into our processes how that feeds into our relationships how that feeds into our organizing and the work that we do um and there's also something so you you spoke to like self-love as the foundation and I think that's a it's really important but then I also think alongside that it's recognizing who is afforded love Mm. in our society and the role of love how love how if people are raised to see and believe and with an embodied acceptance that they are deserving of love how they operate in the world and how that differs to people that structurally are denied that Mm. recognizing that sometimes the journey to self-love is through the love that comes from community um so it's it's not about for me it's not about like which order it goes in um it's not about oh i got i got self-love and then i got to a place where i could show love or i was shown love and that led me to a place where i could love myself but it's more about just recognizing that love is a force um it's it's a force that transforms and that if we are operating in love in our collectives then that supports people to to walk in that journey um by themselves and vice versa with regards to the journey of love and who who's afforded or more likely to be able to have a more linear trajectory when it comes to self-love we were talking about this um earlier today and how that's both classed and racialized and we were thinking together about what is it what are the privileges that allow people to access self-love over others there's something for me about resource yeah like really simply there's something about like when you're not working from survival love is on the it's on the agenda it's a Mm -hmm. question right but when you're working from survival love's not even it's not even it's not at the forefront of your mind you're Mm -hmm. not thinking about love you're thinking about surviving that has been my experience of the world one of the things that i wanted to explore with you um how self-love is both classed and racialized and thinking about resource and you were talking there about how having resources let's just say material resources whether that's houses homes access to therapy all those things help us support us on the journey of self-love and one of the things that I was pushing back against when we were having this conversation was class and how sometimes I think that there is a kind of utopian vision or a rose-tinted view around middle-class resource with regards to self-love. And that's not to say that they don't have the resources to get to to have more access to accepting themselves and self-love, but recognising that there is kind of gendered and patriarchal conditions within those different worlds, which create a really like toxic fusion within families and um, but with also within their communities where there's a sense that there is self-love but actually I'm not sure that the sense that there is an access to self-love but I'm not sure if that is always the case basically I hear that um mm. I think there's something though in the base level of love so yeah. even if it is to like be able to wash myself 
Yes, um, yes. And to be able to have clean clothes yeah. or to be able to eat meals that are nutritious for my body. Yeah. So there's like a base level of love that is to me very much tied to resource yes. um, and access. Um, I also don't, I don't believe in the middle class myth. I don't believe in the, like, the particularly the white middle class myth. Um, What's the middle like, class myth? The, the, I've made that up in my head just on the No, floor. I like it though. But, like, I like myth, it. The myth of that, that those communities are the utopia that exists there. Yeah. I don't believe in that at all. Um, and so I recognise that, yeah, um, having, yes, you may have access to um, kind of a base level of love that it doesn't necessarily mean that you are actively working on that deeper level of love that we've just read in mm. that quote and that that love is work so if you're not doing that work wherever you sit on the socioeconomic spectrum mm. like you're not you're not going to be able to access a version of love that liberates um and i really do i really do believe that um but i i, I do think though that and in yusuf um bakari um who's on one of the episodes with me um, and I um, speak on it in a chapter that's coming out soon about... Um, uh, sorry, a book chapter that Ez and Yusuf <laughs> have coming out. It's incredibly impressive. It's called, the title of the book chapter... It's called Tainted Love. Tainted um, Love. Yeah, and it is... We speak to, we, we, we speak to, like, the way that... And we're talking about romantic love in that chapter, but I don't think it just applies to romantic love. Um, but we speak to the way um, working class communities, love is policed. Um, one, the way that love is policed, but then also the different um, barriers, the multiple different barriers at any given point to be able to access um, a version of love that liberates. Um, and that's tied to all of the different things that, um, all of the different ways that those communities are, are oppressed. We were talking about how some people within the multi-ethnic working class are required to wait for love or are told that they need to heal from their trauma in order to access love or gain self-love or gain romantic love or gain like parental love or between between a child and a parent for example and they're told that they need to heal before that happens as opposed to those within that are with outside of those communities let's say the the multi-ethnic middle classes and we were having a conversation about this and I was kind of pushing back saying I don't know like I feel like there's I feel like even amongst those people let's just say let's just say for argument's sake middle class white women that access that love suit quicker than the people that we're talking about their love is much more stratified i don't necessarily see that as an advantage for them yeah i i don't know if i see it as an advantage or a disadvantage but i do know that a lack of options yeah so i know that the option um so and i'll speak i'll speak from my experience yeah Mm -hmm. so working class black women that happens to live with a personality disorder borderline personality disorder yeah and borderline personality disorder, by definition, is like in in its one of the symptoms of is that I st- will struggle um, with interpersonal relationships, particularly in my case and most people's most people BPD's case, romantic relationships because they are a trigger around like 
foundational childhood trauma in my foundational relationships. Um, so that is like a cause and effect. So by virtue of living with this condition, um, I am somebody who will have those challenges in the context of interpersonal and particularly romantic relationships. So someone saying to me that, oh, I need to heal before I can access romantic love is essentially saying that I need to not be the person that I am mm. in order to access romantic love. Um, and it's not as binary as that, but I do think that the emphasis, and I'll speak for myself, um, so the emphasis that I have kind of seen in my life, like with friends and family, um, that how they've their suggestions around like, how I navigate my romantic life particularly, which I do believe is from a place of like partly love and partly fear. And um, mm-hmm. so partly it's their fear of me being hurt and partly it's their fear of me making more wrong choices because I've made lots of wrong choices in that area of my life. Um, not wrong, but I've made lots of choices that I wouldn't make again, let me put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, and so I see it and I get where it comes from, but I just don't think that the cohort that you mentioned, so middle-class white women, I don't think that they're relationship with love is policed in the same way and I don't think the emphasis on being a whole functioning healthy human being is forced upon them so if women from that community are allowed to be online and meet Steve or go to the pub and meet Steve Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) and get on with Steve and they haven't done like deep soul searching work um, to kind of know themselves and love themselves necessarily um, but they are kind of operationally functional because of capital so because mm-hmm. like, so they have a version of like um privilege, privilege yeah. that affords them to engage in romantic love in the way that black working class heirs with bpd doesn't i just think we need to be careful about how we um push forward that message that people need to be quote-unquote healed or um and that doesn't again it's not as binary as people need to be healed or people don't need to be healed Mm. or but it's about thinking about how and why we are suggesting that people um don't engage um or don't seek love and i guess i hear i hear you and i completely agree like understanding the differences how it's racialized how it relates to disability how it relates to class is so integral, particularly when thinking about romantic love. I guess my my thing, and it's not a pushback at all, but it's it's about seeing or recognizing that even when they do gain get into those situations, relationships, families, that it's not as clear cut as to whether they are then afforded the space to heal or do the healing work. And I just don't, I, I don't, it's not that I'm necessarily empathising with them. It's that I don't necessarily aspire to what the, to what they have. And I'm not saying that's what you do. I think that that journey in which with Steve, I think that that is part of a kind of gendered and patriarchal and classed idealisation that we all, that we see as, as in some way, completes us and I'm not saying that you're saying that at all I I'm I, I'm sort of saying that I kind of I kind of feel sorry for them in a way I overall feel feel sorry for all of us basically that we actually that love 
or romantic love is so complicated and it's not it, it's just not simple because we are because because life isn't simple and society isn't simple but one thing that you've taught me so much about and that I think that the bell hooks does as well and I just want to read out another quote knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving when we can be alone we can be with others without using them as a means of escape and I'll speak for myself now like I think that romantic love or love in friendships or love within family like I'm an enmesher like I am susceptible to enmeshing and for so long by enmeshing I mean loving like in a way that's could, could be some people could see as suffocating understanding that that's a trauma response but also that that isn't that isn't actually a loving practice has been really important for me and my understanding of just we're just talking about to talk about women here in this sense of of the racialization the class and the gendered na- nature of um of relationships in the family um yeah yeah i, I definitely agree with you i definitely agree with you about like it not necessarily being something that I aspire to and I'll be vulnerable in saying that that is relatively new for me so I don't think that that's even like yeah I don't think I've even sat here for that long to be honest um I think that there was I don't think I would have admitted it to myself even but I think that there was a version of um that that I've did think okay that's the thing that will complete me um and like that transpired in the choices that I was making romantically um and i'm I, yeah i think that there's i basically i think that we're saying two things i think that that's true and then i think it's also true that love and aspiring to like romantic love is one version of love um so aspiring to experience love in all its forms is also a beautiful thing yes um and so people and the and when there are structural reasons that prevent people from accessing any part of the spectrum of yes. love including yes. romantic love yes. then that is that is something that i would want i would want to work to change and then on the on the solitude quote that you just read it's it's really interesting because i think that um again last year last year was a year where like I lost a lot of people that um I, I really loved um really love because I don't think for me that the love dies but I think I lost a lot of people I, I um my what my like day-to-day relationships the day-to-day relationships that were like in many ways my crutch um drastically changed and shifted for different reasons and like it was strange because it was like different people different but it was like again as someone that lives um with an understanding of or with a spiritual practice that it felt very ordained it felt very like um this is what's meant to be happening um so it felt almost like for me and the language I'm going to use might put people off here but it's the language that I have um it felt like God was saying yeah I'm going to clear your plate and you're going to have to sit you're going to have to sit with yourself you're going to have to face yourself with what with where we started at the beginning of this um conversation where i was saying that that sometimes the journey to love comes from that you loving yourself then learning how to love others from that place or vice versa for me it was very much like 
my work, my work and the love that I was receiving in my work and the love that I was investing in my work that sustained me um, and that that showed me how to love myself Mm. um, because I hadn't, I hadn't, I didn't have that before. I had, I always had, I've always had people around me that give me a sense of comfort. Yeah, I didn't ever have to really kind of sit and like have an embodied love of self. I had all the language around it. I think I presented myself in a particular way. Um, I could talk to talk, but in terms of like to actually be with myself, that's a journey that I'm still very much new to and very much on. Um, and and yeah, I think that like my work and my love for my community and my I have I have to do it. I have to I have to survive this. I have to survive the solitude. I have to survive whatever it is that's going on in order to be able to contribute in the ways that um, I love to contribute. And that really fed me and gave me loads. That's beautiful as like, it's such an important point you make, but I also feel like, and I think we, we speak about this a lot. It feels like a privilege in a way, as in like you, the last year and listeners will know, I've lost a lot of people as well, but now I'm starting to understand that it is to be able to, clear the play and to be able to start again and work on self-love it does feel like a privilege and that that's mad like like losing losing the people that we have both lost that were so integral to our to our crutches like understanding that as a process but also something that enables us that is going to enable well, to fill us up that's going to enable us to do more of this work in a meaningful and loving way I see as a privilege mm-hmm. and yeah I'm really grateful for you for to helping me get to that point of understanding because we're talking about like big big mm-hmm. like big grief big grief I recognize the privilege in it yeah I recognize the pain in it mm-hmm. um and I also recognize that like love as a force and it's it, I always feel a little bit cringe or a bit uncomfortable like saying statements like that um because I think that that type of language has been co-opted mm. um and can mean different things in different spaces but when I say it what I mean is like the practice of love like the practice of like waking up and doing love um and doing love of self and doing love of community and that sometimes that is like I'm gonna call you out you know mm-hmm. I'm gonna call you that call you out because the alternative is I'm gonna be chatting chatting about you behind your back mm-hmm. so actually I love you enough to to not let it spit out in ways that are not healthy or helpful yeah um or sometimes love is like do you know what I am gonna um put very clear boundaries in this relationship um because i love you enough to not coexist in in a way that is codependent and not helpful for you or me um so when i say doing love it's not always like nice it doesn't always feel like nice or like soft um sometimes like i had an incident on the weekend where with the police which i won't even get into because i don't want to give them any airplay but um i had to look a police officer in the eye and like be really clear in saying like yo I'm not the one like it's not me it's not me tell and them what you said I said I'm not a slave <laughs> I said I'm not a slave <laughs> yeah I said I'm not a slave I said you've done enough to my community you're not gonna bully me you're not gonna intimidate me 
That's what I said. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I, and, I, and believe it or not, I did that from love. I did it from a place of love of like my community and love of like, do you know what? If I don't speak, I'm going to react in a way that might lead to something that will mm-hmm. lead to something. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So it's like, do you know what? I love myself enough to hold this boundary and to be clear, mm-hmm. but also for it to not go above and beyond. Um, and it's like, it's really trying to make, it's, it's in the micro choices, it's in like, what choice am I going to make now? And like, I don't want to sit here and I, I'm never going to sit here and lie or pretend that like, I always make the choice that is most loving. Um, but that's the pursuit. And I think it, it's recognising that that's the pursuit and aligning myself with individuals that can work with that. And what, I guess what I see, I think this, this leans a little bit into ego. I see that like, speaking for myself as well that one of the biggest barriers to that in terms of like in interpersonal relationships or in relationships within like communities or organizations Mm. and working like partnering together etc it's ego like ego gets in the way ego and fear really gets in the way um and i've had to i've had to look at myself myself i've had to look at my ego i've had to look at my fear i've had to look at how that projects into spaces and the energy that that um attracts um and like really working on those things um to operate with integrity and with love has been something that like again there's a constant like I have to constantly be reflective about what I'm doing and I think just coming back to the point that you said before about understanding love or doing love in relationship with other people is a gift but also helps us with this process and what I mean by that is like we kind of need other people to help us understand our ego Mm -hmm. and that in itself is the ego work Mm -hmm. um and that's really difficult Mm -hmm. and there's just a safety so even when I look at like our relationship Mm -hmm. um which has like grown in depth and breadth and all of the above Mm -hmm. um over the past year or so um and when I look at the level of intention that goes into our relationship, like it's not just like, there is that intention. There is like mm-hmm. um, real, like there's designated time and space to be able to love each other mm. well. And um, so it's like, we've set each other up to win. And to, like, and that's, that's something that, again, from, from my perspective has come off the back of learning the consequence of not doing that um so learning the consequence of like not being intentional about love and that or assuming that people know or see um love in the ways that i know and see love and etc etc and like mm. getting it wrong or assuming that enmeshing people or people pleasing mm-hmm. gives you a loving practice and bond or hiding myself yeah. so assume that oh do you know what if i like if i love this i know that the per- the version of love that this person wants looks like this i'm going to give them that um and it doesn't matter if it if i have to hide part of myself in order to do that because my ego tells me or my desperation tells me that i'm going to i'm going to be able to receive love back mm. um but you can't i can't i couldn't i couldn't um because i wasn't giving i wasn't i was hiding and squashing so much of me and part of part I told I think I would tell myself that in like multiple past relationships some romantic some not um I would tell myself that like I was 
being the version of me that they needed um but actually like no like no I need to be able to bring my full self I need to be brave enough to bring my full self um and also I need to be able to stand in what that means when you bring your full self back as thank you so much for that if you had to give the listeners three things that you think that they could take away from this series what would be those things you could have given me a heads up for that question. <laughs> that wasn't very laughing, was it? No. <laughs> Three things to take away from the series. Ooh, um, real love is synonymous with authenticity. You can do niceness. I was going to say kindness, but you can't. You can do niceness. You can do pleasantries. You can do things that might mirror or look like love, but they aren't. they aren't love if it doesn't come from an authentic place. Real love is is synonymous with authenticity. That's the first thing. I want to talk more in 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 the social justice world about love. Um so maybe it's me asking the listeners that are in this world or that aspire to be in this world or that are interested in this world, um, when's the last time you, you spoke to someone about love? And actually, I'm even going to push that in a professional space. Yes. Um. So not like your partners or your pals, but like when was the last time you used the word love or um spoke to love in in the work that you're doing? If it's not something that you commonly do, why? I'd ask that question. The third takeaway. Um, I wanna. I want people to ask themselves structurally, who is afforded love, and who isn't. Um. And to really get real with that, like no one's, no one's here. It's you and your headphones or you and wherever you're listening to this. Um, and to get really real with yourself about that um, and the implications of that. And, and my hope is that people could even get that like, granular about what that looks like in your, in your workplaces, um, in your universities, in your relationships, etc. Like what, how does that play out um, and what can we do to mitigate that this has been the role of love in social justice work presented by presented and produced by ez thank you so much ez thank you guys thank you for listening to surviving society to support our work you can rate review and subscribe to host or produce a series of surviving society get in touch with us via twitter or instagram